Hosea 7, 1, and it reads as follows. When I appealed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered, and the wickedness of Samaria, for they commit falsehood. And the thief cometh in, and the troop of robbers spoileth it out. And they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own doings have best them about. They are before my face. They make the king glad with their wickedness, and the princes with their lies. They are all adulterers, and as an oven heated by the baker, who ceases from raising after he hath kneaded the dough, until it be leavened. In the day of our king, the princes have made him sick with bottles of wine. He stretched out his hand with scorners, for they have made ready their heart like an oven, while they lay, lie in wait. Their baker sleepeth all the night, in the morning it burneth as a flaming fire. They are all as hot as an oven, and they have devoured their judges. All their kings are fallen, there is none among them that calleth to me. All right, let's uh, pray before we look at these verses today and see what they're talking about. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you that we have your word to study, to learn from, to educate us. Thank you for you know, your, your, your blessings and, <clears throat> and your hand over this congregation, that people have the heart to hear your word and learn your word. May you be with us all this morning as this church strives to uh, continue to do that. and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue with our Bible study on the book of Hosea. As you know, we've been studying what I call the second part of the book of Hosea, the prophecy part, which starts in chapter 4. And since we've started studying chapter 4, it's been proceeding in a very orderly type fashion, right? In chapter 4, we saw God lay out the complaint against Israel, basically pulling out the laundry list. Hey, guys, this is what you're doing wrong. And we saw the list was extensive. Their sin was great. They were not walking with God, they were turning away to idols, turning away to all manner of sin, doing exactly what God didn't want them to do. So chapter 4 laid out the accusations. Hey, this is what you're going wrong. Chapter 5 laid out the judgment, right? The warning of coming judgment. This is what's going to happen to you guys for all that sin you're doing, right? It was going to be the slow burn judgment, being uh, rusted away like a moth would, would, uh, would attack you. The big time judgment, like a lion attacking Israel. And we know historically that's what happened, right? That they did get the judgment passed against them. But that was the warning at the time. This is what you're doing wrong. Chapter 5, here's the judgment, right? Last time in chapter 6, though, in chapter 6, we talked a little bit about chance for redemption the chance for redemption remember chapter 6 it lays out that hey come and return to the Lord right and he will heal us right and then the, and we said significantly in verse 3 in verse 2 it talked about how on the third day he will raise us up right the third day now we're in the Easter season we know that this is kind of a foreshadowing right that hey all you've done wrong all that you've gone wrong all the judgment is coming to you all that can be avoided, avoided by turning back to God through repentance. Remember, our whole theme through this book is repentance, just the same repentance we need from Jesus Christ. In fact, this whole thing we've been studying right now mirrors, you know, even though we're studying the story of Israel, it mirrors the story of our own Christian lives, our own lives as human beings, right? In the same way that Israel sinned, Israel had a whole laundry list of things wrong against them. We sinned. 
we had all that stuff that we did in our lives that wasn't right, that God wouldn't be happy with. In the same way there was judgment coming to Israel, there's judgment coming for us. There's punishment for our sins, is there not? That because of our sins, you know, this is a, there's a price we pay. But there's also redemption, a chance for redemption by repenting and turning back to God. That's what Israel was offered, and that's what we're offered. In the same manner as Israel, as it was said to Israel, that in the third day they'll be raised up for us. In the third day, Jesus was raised up, right? And through Jesus, we have, repent, we have uh, salvation from sin. So that was chapters 4, 5, 6. So chapter 7 follows logically from that. So chapter 6 was, hey, you have a chance. Turn back from your ways. But we also saw in chapter 6, we knew that they couldn't turn back. They were so far gone. They had gone so bad, so wickedly. And it's no surprise that in chapter 7, it starts off with this. God says, what? When I would have healed Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim, which also refers to Israel, right? Was discovered, right? Because I'm giving it, I gave them a chance to be healed. They were still wicked, right? They still committed all this falsehood and so on and so forth, right? Verse 2, it said the problem that these people had is that they did not consider in their hearts, right? That, that God knows all their wickedness and all their doings, right? And so what, did it ha- what was the equivalent of what was happening to them? Well, we get this example here in the, in the later verses, verses 4 to 7. It talks about a baker, right? It gives an analogy of how were the people of Israel acting like. And the comparison is like to this baker and this oven, right? It says they are all adulterers, right? I'm talking about Israel. They're all adulterers, right? Like as an oven heated by a baker. So you have to think in the context of the bakers of 2,000 some odd years ago, right, or 3,000 years ago. This is not like we bake today with your gas oven and, or electric or whatever you guys have in your house. Back then they used fire, like real fire, right? So you put a bunch of wood or coals or whatever they used back then, and you try to heat up this oven underneath, right? So they put a bunch of fire in there, and you know fire burns hot. You've got to be hot if you want to bake something. Right? If it's gonna, if it's, if it's a small fire, nothing's gonna get cooked. You gotta have a big fire. The oven is heated by this baker, right? But what does this baker do? Verse four. Verse four. He ceased from raising after he kneaded the dough until it be eleven. This is the baker that put the dough in the oven and then forgot about it, right? And what does the oven do? The oven still burns hot, right? Verse six. Right? The baker is sleeping all night, and in the morning it burneth as a flaming fire. That's this in verse 6. So this oven, which is burning hot, is still burning all night. There's no one tending the fire. No one to make sure it's the right temperature for the, bed, for the bread to break. No, no one that's making sure, oh, i got to take it out now or whatever. It's just burning and burning and burning all night long. Verse 7, they are all as hot as an oven, and they have devoured their judges. Right? All their kings are fallen. What is this analogy? Right? This oven burned so much, it burned down everything. Remember, the oven is like the people. People had a burning, right? We've heard, heard this saying before, right? A burning desire. Right? This oven symbolizes this burning. The burning desire of the people, their desire for sin. 
their desire for iniquity. That's the way their attitude was like. That they cared so much about all their sins and everything like that, that that was their passion, right? right? Their burning desire was to continue to live their life the way it was, to live in the wrong. And it burned so much, right? That it consumed them. That's what happened to Israel, is it not? That it was burning, burning, burning so much that the whole nation collapsed eventually. The whole nation collapsed. It was like there was no one watching the fire, right? The, the baker was asleep at the switch. And so that's what happened to Israel. That was the prophecy of what happened to Israel, and that's what actually happened to Israel. And again, to continue that extension to what we were talking about, when we are talking about comparing it to today, present day life, right? In the same way Jesus offered us redemption, there's going to be some people who are asleep at the switch, and they miss the message. They know that Jesus is out there, Jesus is offering redemption, but they don't take it up on it. They are so burning with passion to go live their own life and their own way that they ignore that way out. Especially significant now again in this Easter season when we think when we ought to be thinking about it all the time, about how great Jesus is to forgive us from sin, to forgive us, to give us everlasting life. Boy, you know, how dedicated are people? How burning with passion for their own passions, their own lusts, their own desires that they forego Jesus Christ. But that's what happens now. That's what happened then. They had the chance. They were offered repentance. They said no. That's what chapter 7 starts talking about. But I want to point out an interesting verse here in verse number 2. So what I see here, interesting verse number 2. They consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own doings have been set about them there before my face. Something interesting that God points out to the people here. He says, what are these people forgetting? What do people not realize? They forget that God knows everything, right? Right? In their hearts, I remember all their wickedness. God knows our heart. God knows all our sins. So some people, and I'm assuming people back then, and I guess people today now, right? The attitude is, well, they feel like they get away with it, right? I get away with my sin, right? Nobody knows. Nobody sees what's going on, right? I can get away with doing it. And God's pointing out, and God's reminding people, that he is always watching. He always knows everything. You think it's, it's very true that if people aren't, if there's no one watching, no one's around, people tend to uh, take chances what they're doing and not care so much about breaking the rules and so on. Look at the way we drive, right? Think about the way you drive in comparison to if there is like, a policeman behind you, right? If you're driving down the street and there's a policeman behind you, you're going to make sure that, oh, am I going to speed limit? Do I remember to signal when I turn the corner? You know, am I, you know, am I driving correctly? Compared to if there's no policeman around, you know how some people drive, you see them, I'm going to blaze 80, 90 down the freeway and do this and that. You know, that's the way, that's the difference, right? When the authority figures around, oh, we're scared. We don't want to do that, right? It's just like in a classroom. You can, I'm sure you guys that teach in Chinese school or teach in any other school, you saw the student math there before, you know, that, hey, when you're there, hey, maybe they're actually paying attention. Step out that room for five minutes and come back and see what kind of chaos ensues, right? Oh, the attitude is no one's watching, so we can get away with it, right? We can do those 
things. A lot of times people feel like there's stuff that we can do where God's not watching, right? Or no one else is watching. No one else is watching, and we can get away with it. But God's reminding them that God is always watching. God is always watching. It's especially true with one of these, uh, these things that we might think of as so-called victimless sins, victimless sins. You know, sometimes it's kind of similar to like victimless crimes, right? I know you guys have heard of on the news. A lot of people talk about, well, what's the big deal about victimless crimes? For example, the crime of the victim is like you murder someone, right? Oh, that's bad. You murdered someone, there's uh, someone that got hurt. Or you stole something, you robbed the store, someone lost their money. But then people say like this, you know, we, yeah, we want to punish those crimes with victims, right? But who cares if there's a victimless crime like some guy did drugs, right? Some guy did drugs, illegal drugs. He's only messing up his own life. Why do we care so much to send the police after him and arrest these people, right? And you hear about that in the news all the time, right? Victimless crime. And of course, we know that the reason why the police goes after these people is because even though it might appear to be victimless, you know, on a, on a, on a small scale, one of that on a big scale, that such crimes contribute to the degradation of society, right? The more people doing drugs, the more problems there are, and so on and so forth, right? Whether it be crime or, you know, accidents, domestic issues, all these type of things. In the same way, the sins of our heart, the sins that, don't people, that people don't see, are just as big a deal as the sins we do see. Yes, it's a big deal when someone sees that, oh, you stole, right? You hurt someone in their lives or whatever, right? Yeah. But when we're talking about the sins that only God sees, even those are just as important. God is there to God's reminding that he's there watching. Because again, just in the way the victimless crime affects society, right? The so-called victimless sin actually does have a victim. It's us, right? And the people around us. What are we talking about? It's the sins of the heart, right? It's when you see, like what the Bible talks about, for example, when you lust after another uh, man or woman that's not your own husband or wife. The adultery of the heart, right? It's when we covet something, right? Then we have jealousy, anger at someone else over something or some whatever that we don't have. That informs the way and the attitude we have of our own lives. What are we talking about? What are we talking about? What are we talking about? So like we said, you know, I think many people here, myself probably included, have probably had these type of negative type thoughts before. And a lot of times we'd say, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal if I see some, you know, girl walking down the street and say, boy, that girl is like so hot or whatever, right? Hotter than my own wife or whatever, right? You know, people talk like that or think like that, have these kind of lustful thoughts, right? What's so bad? You didn't act on it, right? You didn't act on it. You just thought it, right? Why does God think of that as still sinful, something we need to watch out for, the sin of our own heart. It's because it informs our way of thinking. It means that we have planted the thought of bad thinking in our mind. And that's, of course, the first step toward the bad action. Why do we care if we covet? Covet is one of the Ten Commandments, right? You figure that's one that you can't see. How do you know if someone else covets? You look at the other Ten Commandments, you know. We know if someone is not work, uh, obeying the Sabbath day. We know if someone, you know, uh, stole or, or killed or whatever, right? You don't really know when someone covets 
something else and you say, boy, I wish I had that other thing, right? And look at someone else, they had a bigger house than me, bigger car than me, right? God still elevates that up to the Ten Commandments because he knows that affects the way we think. We think, I want that. And when we think, I want that, that makes us, even on a subconscious level, right? Even if we're not acting on it right now, a subconscious level, to be susceptible to acting for that. That's exactly what temptation is, is it not? That's exactly what the devil tries to put in our path, to think that. Because once you start thinking about, oh, I want that house really badly. I really want that uh, car very badly. I really want that other man or woman very badly. That's when we, when we entertain that thought, that's when we set ourselves up to compromise ourselves, to compromise ourselves. Not exactly, maybe not even exactly immediately, right? But the thought is in our mind. It sets us down the wrong path. No one ever goes to do these things out of the blue, right? There's a lot of stories, you know, you see if you follow the news. Stories, for example, about pastors, pastors that's fallen into their own lusts. Their lust for material things, their lust for uh, women. How did they get there? I, it wasn't just a spur of the moment thing when they, when they, when they track down these people and they, they catch them for their own corruption and stuff. What kind of stuff do they say, right? They say the things that you would expect from someone who's not even a pastor, right? They say, oh, you know, this girl, she was, uh, she was having a hard time in her life and I was counseling her and I was with her like one-on-one all the time and I started thinking about all this stuff and then after I helped her, she was so appreciative, right? Oh, one thing led to another, right? It started with a thought and it went from there. Or for these other people, they say, oh, you know, this was this thing that was uh, there's thing that was uh, desirous to me, right? Oh, all these other people, they got to do, you know, whatever, to drive the fancy car, live the house. It was easy for that, that pastor to say, look, I did so much work. I deserve to have all the, you know, I've been thinking about all these other things that people have. Don't I deserve to use some of the money from the church funds on something to, uh, to uh, congratulate myself, right? To help myself out. Even people like that, you see it in the news all the time, these similar type stories, that they slipped, started with a thought. God's saying this. God's saying that there should be a policeman, not just on your external action, but even on our thoughts to set us up in the right direction. When we have that policeman in our mind to think, to remember, God knows our thoughts, God knows our mind. We're setting ourselves up on the right path. You know? Otherwise, we can make our own conclusion. We could just say, hey, if it's no one's around and no one cares, I'll do whatever, right? You know, so it's like, why does he care about, let's say, drinking alcohol, right? We see a reference right in these verses here. In verse number five, it talks about how people get sick with bottles of wine, right? This is one of the things he actually talks about. Some people would wonder, I bet even their day, and a lot of people today wonder, like, what's so bad? Isn't this another of these victimless sins? If you sit at home, and you crack open a bottle of wine, and you drink it, and you fall asleep, why does God care? 
Why should God care? You didn't do anything. You didn't hurt people. You didn't do anything bad, right? But again, this is the same thing as we talked about before. It informs our worldview, our way of thinking, our thought. If you're thinking about that, oh, I'm sitting at home drinking a bottle of wine. What's so bad about that? I actually did that. I didn't hurt anybody. I did that. What's to say that that situation doesn't extend now in your thoughts to say, hey, I went out with my buddies, right? And just had one glass of wine or whatever, right? And there it is. Or I went out to a party. Now I'm gonna have, you know, I drank one glass of wine one time, I can drink two glasses, nothing happened, nothing, whatever. And now other people watch me drink and they say they should drink too, right? And maybe eventually it gets to the point where there is, what is it we're talking about? The negative effect of people around you. You might not be the drunk driver the first time or the second time or even the fifth time, right? Maybe it's the sixth time, seventh time, who knows, right? You might be, not be the crazy drunk the first time or the second time or whatever, but maybe you'll be the crazy drunk on the 10th time, the 20th time, whatever. God's trying to keep us away from that road, right? When you go down that road, it's hard to turn back, is it not? He's trying to cut us off from going down that road, even in our minds. If we have that at step one, We'll never get to step two, step three, step four, step five, step six, etc., etc. Right? That was the problem that Israel had. Israel's problem was they had already failed in step one in their mind. They were already not even thinking about God at all. All they were thinking about was themselves. Thinking about, oh, this is what I like to do. I'm going to do it. That's why they never had the heart for repentance. We all here have the heart for repentance. That's how we show up on, Monday, on Sunday, right? We're here on a Sunday morning because we love God. We know God saves from our sins. We have that spirit. If we have that spirit, should we not also remember that that spirit dwells in us, that we have God in us, and we have that constant reminder, that constant policeman watching over us, not only of our actions, but our thoughts. Can we have our pure thoughts? to make sure that we never go down the path of sin, the path that makes God unhappy, the path that burns us up over time, right? Just like the fire devoured the bread, the fire that devours us, our society, our family, our friends, or whatever, when we give in to sin. Even the sin that we think doesn't hurt us right away, we know that it comes back to bite us in the long run. So that's the first part of chapter 7. We're going to go on to the next part of chapter 7 where we talk more about this baker and how bad of a baker he is next time. But right now, we're going to end up with a word of prayer because our time's up. Dear God, thank you for these verses here that talk about uh, you know, this analogy, this baker, and how Israel was so given to sin that it kind of burned them up. We know that it did burn them up. The whole country went down in flames. And it started with the fact that they didn't remember that God is always watching. That they didn't have their behavior affected by that. Lord, we want to remember that. We want to make it so that we remember. It's kind of like when the policeman is watching us when we drive. That you're watching us wherever we are. Even in our hearts. May our heart be pure so we never get tempted to go down the wrong path. The path of sin. The path of unrighteousness. Lord, 
We ask you to give us the strength. We know it's not easy. We've all had our, our bad thoughts or bad sins of the heart before in our lives. But we know that you want us to strive to be better. And we ask you to help us with that and you guide us on a day-to-day basis. Thank you again for this Easter season where we can remember your repentance, can remember Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his love for us. Thank you, God, for always being there for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, because of the Easter season, we're going to be meeting on the other side today.